Do ghost ships invoke a fear of the unknown? Do you get chills running down your spine at the prospect of being lost at sea, never to be seen again? Have you pictured this nightmare scenario? Now imagine you are alone, afloat, adrift, and then you gain the hope of rescue. Backlit against the foggy moon, you see the silhouette of a ship. You're saved. All is not lost until you see closely the tattered sails, the rotting wood hull. The ship looks as if it has just risen from the lowest part of the ocean floor. Not a single soul exists living on this rescue ship, and once again, you are alone. On the open waters of the deep ocean can be found haunting sights of lost vessels floating in abandonment, left for the few to find and explore, leaving confusion on the surface of the water in which they dwell. What happened to these ships? How did their crew vanish? How is it still sailing the seas with no human hands to guide it? Find out on today's Learning to Curse, bitch. himself. I hope you liked my intro. It was uh, fabricated by my own thumb. Uh, <laughs> um, today I do have a special guest. He will be joining me uh, periodically throughout the show. His name is Burn, and uh, yeah, he's a very special guest. Uh, good friend of mine. We uh, we are best friends. Uh, we've known each other forever. Uh, he's not at all a fabrication of my own mind. On today's episode of Learning to Curse, we're going to be talking about ghost ships, if you know what that is. Um, so the first one that we're going to talk about today is called the Jenny. And uh, I'm going to have a um, special guest of mine read some information about the Jenny. So the first story that we're going to talk about, I'm going to let uh, my friend Byrne McScott. Byrne or is it Byrne? Byrne or Byrne? It's Byrne. I don't know. It's Byrne. Tell me. I'm telling you, it's Bam. Okay, it's Bearn. Bearn! Right. Um, so, Bearn is going to tell Bairn. us about the Jenny, Fuck. a ghost ship lost at sea. professional. What not? Right, lost at sea. Right. So, here we go. Right, take it away, Bearn. Fucking trying to. Alright, so the Jenny was an alleged English schooner and the subject of an unproven legend. The story goes that the Jenny became frozen in an ice barrier of the Drake Passage in 1823, only to be rediscovered in 1840 by a whaling ship, the bodies aboard being preserved by the Antarctic cold. The original report has been deemed unsubstantiated. Do you know what that means? Yeah. Do Mhm. No, do you do you know what unsub I know Un what unsubstant Yes. Will you fucking stop and let me tell you? Un Tell me what unsubstantiated means. Right. Yeah. So, substantiated means. Uh huh. Right. So, unsubstantiated means. Oh my god, you're a fucking You're idiot. a fucking idiot. You're a fucking idiot. The earliest known source for the story appears to be an anonymous article in an 1862 edition of Globus, a popular German geographical magazine. 
right? So, the supposed account describes how the ship left its home port on the Isle of Wight in 1822. The ship was discovered frozen in ice in the Drake Passage by a Captain Brighton of the whaler Hope in September 1840. The log had been entered until 17 January 1823. The last port of call had been Calio, near Lima, Peru. Brighton took the logbook with him in order to return it to the ship owners. The Jenny is commemorated by the Jenny Buttress, a feature in King George Island near Melville Peak, named by the UK Antarctic Police Names Committee in 1960. What a fucking job that is, right? The fucking the Atlantic Police Names Committee? Really? Is there is there a Pacific Police Names Committee? Is there fucking what what what? what that's just fucking stupid. Australian poet Rosemary Dobson wrote about the story in her poem The Ship of Ice, published in her book The Ship of Ice Will Fuck You Then, with other poems in 1948, which won the Sydney Morning Herald. Well, good for you, Rosemary. Good for you. Uh, won the, oh, the Sydney Morning Herald Award for poetry that year. Wow. Dobson's poem places the discovery of the Ginny in 1860, adding 20 years to the period of entrapment. The poem speaks of her as a ship caught in a bottle, becalmed in time and sealed with a cork of ice. According to Dobson, her source was the anonymous report The Drift of the Ginny, 1823-1840. An explanation of the story is given in the short story The Drift of the Ginny. Published in Stew and Sinkers, 30 award-winning stories from the Stringy Bark Short Fiction Awards. Don't know what a Stringy Bark is, but that's the story of the Jenny. Right. Um, now, we could talk about it a little bit. Alright, yeah. Okay, so the Jenny, uh, a schooner uh, right. found in the uh, Antarctic, Antarctic area. Yeah. Right. Um, fucking, my, yeah, people yeah. came on this ship. They did. Nobody in that ship. Correct. Fucking weird. Very weird. Cool. No. Alright, burn. 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 Burn identity. Fucking burn. Bobby McFerrin. Fuck you. Burn. Shut the fuck up. Uh, what's the what's the next one you got for us, man? What's the next uh the next story you have? Let's hear them all, and then we'll talk about them. You can fucking talk about it yourself. What? Alright, so... Fucking rude. Mary Celeste is the name of the next ship I'm talking about. Uh, it was an American merchant brigantine discovered adrift and deserted in the Atlantic Ocean off the Azores Island on December 5th, 1872. The Canadian brigantine Digratia? Digratia? Fucking don't know found her in a disheveled but seaworthy condition, under partial sail, and with her lifeboat missing, the last entry in her log was dated 10 days earlier. She had left New York City for... She had left New York City for Genoa. Don't know how to say that word. Genoa? Genoa. On November 7th, and on discovery was still amply provisioned. Her cargo of denatured alcohol was intact, 
and the captain's and crew's personal belongings were undisturbed. None of those who had been on board were ever seen or heard from again. It's fucking weird, right? So, this one. Mary Celeste was built in Spencer's Island, Nova Scotia. So it's a fucking Canadian ship, right? Uh, and launched under British registration as um, uh, as Amazon in 1861. She transferred to American ownership and registered in 1868 when she acquired her new name and therefore sailed uneventfully until her 1872 voyage. At the salvage hearings in Gibraltar, Following her recovery, the court's officers considered various possibilities of foul play, including mutiny by Mary Celeste's crew, piracy by the De Gracia crew or others, and conspiracy to carry out ins insurance or salvage fraud. No convincing evidence supported these theories, but unresolved suspicions led to a relatively low salvage award. The inclusive nature of the hearings helped to foster continued speculation as to blah 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 who gives a fuck this is just fucking stupid. Um, eh, hypotheses that have been advanced include the effects on the crew of alcohol fumes rising from the cargo, submarine earthquakes, sea quakes, that's crazy, water spouts, attack by a giant squid, fucking stupid, and paranormal intervention, that's where it comes into your show right guys? After the Gibraltar hearings, Mary Celeste continued in service under new owners. In 1885, her captain deliberately wrecked her off the coast of Haiti as part of an attempted insurance fraud. The story of her 1872 abandonment has been recounted and dramatized many times in documentaries, novels, plays and films, blah 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 blah, and the name of the ship has become a byword for unexplained desertion. So what's happening to these people? Where do they go in? Now, one thing I read is that there has never been a clear consensus on any one scenario. It is a mystery that has tormented countless people, including the families of the lost sailors and hundreds of the others who have tried in vain to solve the riddle. Mm -hmm. The ghost ship may be the best example of the old proverb that the sea never gives up its secrets. Is that a proverb? Crazy, right? I guess. Alright. Well, thank you, Burn. Uh... Bernard, Bernie, thanks, Bernie. Uh, appreciate it. Um, so, uh, yeah. Now, with that being said about the Mary Celeste and the Jenny, I think perhaps maybe there is there is there any more? Do you have any anything else to add, Mister Mister Burns, Mister Burns? Huh? 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 Is there anything else you want to say? <laughs> Why aren't you talking? Oh, fuck, I don't like you at all. You know that, right? I don't even know why I agreed to be here. Jesus Christ. The other one, the last one that I got, now there's plenty of them out there that you can talk about. Um, you can even look them up, ghost ships. When I looked up ghost ship, I was thinking, oh, that's cool. It's like a, a ship that is like a ghost. It looks like, like you know, uh, like if you were to take a... A ship and put like a giant white sheet over it but then it just looks like it's got sails so not like that but you know like Casper the friendly ship um, but no I was mistaken yeah you were completely mistaken that's not what ghost ship means oh really yeah well fuck you then well, fuck you uh, genius <laughs>
but the the other one that I've got here is uh, the la the lady. The other one that I've got here is the Lady Luvabond. Is the name. The other one that I've got here is the Lady Luvabond. The Lady Luvabond is the name given to a legendary schooner that is alleged to have been wrecked in the Goodwin Sands of off the Kent coast of Southeast England in 13 February 1748. Not 84, 48. I'm dyslexic. Uh, and is said to reappear there every 50 years as a ghost ship. Now, this is what I'm fucking talking about. Uh, no contemporary records of the ship or its supposed sinking are to be found. The story goes that the ship was at sea on 13 February because her captain, Simon Reed, in some accounts named Simon Peel, uh, fucking why, uh, whatever, uh, had just been married and was celebrating the uh, occasion with the crew. Uh, according to several accounts, the ship was bound for a porto in Portugal. Uh, despite the long-standing sailor's superstition that it was bad luck to bring a woman on board, Reed had brought his bride, Annetta, with him on the ship. According to legend, the first mate, John Rivers, a rival for the hand of the captain's young wife, was pacing the decks in jealous anger, while the captain his wife and their guests were celebrating the marriage below deck. The first mate was seized with a fit of jealous rage. Casually drawing a heavy, club-like belaying pin, belaying pin? That's what I'll call it, a belaying pin, from the rail, the mate walked softly up behind the crew member at the wheel and felled him to the deck with one crushing blow. Rivers then seized the wheel and steered the ship onto the treacherous Goodwin Sands, killing everyone aboard. A subsequent inquiry into the disaster recorded a verdict of misadventure. Isn't that a great way of putting it? The fucker goes and clubs somebody over the head, takes the wheel and crashes it. And it's a misadventure. Man, I'm glad not all my misadventures ended up like that. Most of them ended with me being pissed and uh, waking up in the gutter somewhere. So. So that, that, that pretty much, that's the story, that's the story of, of uh, Mary Celeste. No, no, deleted fucking things. That's the story of, uh, deleted love, love bug. That's it. Look at it again. Yeah, take a look. Something, something other. Lady Love Bond. Love Bond, yeah. yeah you so that's her. the story of the Lady Love Bond. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, that, that's it. Do you, do you still need me reading this stuff for you? Where are you going? No, I just don't like you. I mean, you're, what did I do? You're useless. How am I useless? No, really, you are. Why? You gotta explain yourself. Right, well, fuck off, I'm leaving. Well, fuck. Alright then. I guess, uh,. I'm at my breaking point, and I'm back, I guess. So, um, yeah, I guess it looks like uh, like Bernie left us, left us in the lurch. I was gonna have him read some more stuff, but I guess that's not gonna happen. Um, there's not really much else to read, uh, and we'll just pretend like I have that uh, that speculation station song music going on right now. The sound rift, whatever the bitch is called. Uh, toot toot. All aboard and all that shit.
Um, so, uh, speculation station. Uh, what do I think about ghost ships? Um, I think it's really fascinating. I think that I can see, like, where, um, like, people get scared or freaked out or, uh, like, one of my biggest fears is the ocean. Like, just open water, ocean, terrifying. Like, I, not, not even close to, to anything else that scares me. The ocean is the worst thing in the world, and it's most of the world, so the world sucks. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm terrified of the ocean, and if I were anywhere near the ocean, and I saw a ship that was abandoned, but, like, floating around and bobbing around like an idiot, uh, yeah, it's, it's gross. Uh, as for what do I think happens to them, there's, like, specific, there's, diff there's different, like, uh, uh, ideas of what happens in these scenarios, scenarios, um, where the, uh, the crew, the entire crew is, like, like, killed by, like, mutiny and whatnot, and, like, thrown overboard and shit, um, which is more than likely the case, um, the, or, you know, something's run afoul and they, like, abandon ship and then, like, find themselves up, uh, on a desert island somewhere and then they start to, like, uh, incorporate into that, uh, environment and become the indigenous people of that land, uh, <laughs> or something, I don't know. Um, the other, like, theories are, like, uh, sea monsters and shit, and that's bullshit, and then there's, like, alien abduction, and whatnot, which, like, I don't see why that would be the case. Um, but, you know, if it is more power to the uh, aliens of going and taking people that are, like, in the middle of the ocean, just plucking them off of a ship. Um, the cool stories that I've read about it is, like, when, like, there's, like, a ghost ship, and it's, like, um, popping out of nowhere every, like, 35 years or something like that. Uh, it's, like, off the coast of, like, Costa Rica or some shit, there's always, like, every 30 to 40 years, there's this one ship that has all these tattered sails and whatnot, and it's the type of ship you haven't seen in a hundred years, and it shows up all the time and, like, spooks people, um, so it's an interesting, interesting story, but I don't, I don't know that I buy that it is something that actually happens, um, for the, the, the stories that I've read, or, I'm sorry, scratch that, the stories that Bernie, Bernie read, um, were, uh, Basically, um, they, there wasn't real, really much evidence for them to have actually been true stories, and for the most part it looked like a, most of them were fabricated, but they are interesting, and, you know, it's a, it's a cool idea to get into, like, as far as, like, telling scary stories and, and getting people to, to think about shit. But yeah, that's my that's my go at uh, what we call ghost shippies and, sit, and such. And it's uh, don't really have much else to say, honestly. Uh, this is a really really short episode um, because without other people to talk to, I can't I can't derail <laughs> shit. Um, so I'm basically here derailing my own self and. That doesn't really work out. This is all that is internal monologue. You guys can't hear it at all. I'm insane. I'm literally insane. I wonder if the guys will want to have Bernie on the episodes in the future. Just me talking to Bernie, or them talking to Bernie. 
That'd be weird. Um, yeah, if you guys, uh, you want to just, you know, you want to, you want to know something I forgot to do? I forgot to say, class is dismissed. I'm still. I only wanted to spend some time in nature, get my head right, relax and let go of some much pent up stress. I'd been going through a hard time and I needed a vacation or a new vocation. I was burnt out and it was starting to fuck up my life. My girlfriend, well, ex-girlfriend, left me. She moved out three weeks before this all happened. She said I was too serious, that I was never able to let go and be spontaneous. She thought that I had no ambition and that I was too rational. How the fuck can a person be too rational? I don't get it. It's because I don't have any beliefs, she said. She equated my lack of religion to a lack of spirituality, which is true. But she said, you don't believe in God, so you don't believe in anything, which was not true. I have what most would call a moral direction, a structure, if you will. But I didn't believe in ghosts or aliens. I didn't believe in angels, demons, or the Loch Ness Monster or any of that bullshit. That was before my experience in the woods recently. Now I'm not sure what to believe. I'll tell you about it. My friends Albert and Frank were supposed to come with me on my camping trip, but got delayed and said they would meet me out there. We'd been there before on day trips. I, I smoked weed and they made sure I didn't fall off a cliff. It was fun, uh, so we kept coming back, you know. Um, we knew the place, and this time was going to be the first time we camped. I say camp, but uh, we'd found an abandoned shack that we planned on staying in. The weather was great for a long weekend of exploring the woods and just hanging out. And it's a shack, why not, why not fucking sleep in that, right? Anyway, they were going to be a day late, and I decided on heading up by myself. I needed to get out of the city that was reminding me daily of my losses and failures. In hindsight, I should have waited, or just stayed home. I, sh I should have just stayed fucking home. I should have just stayed home. <sighs> the reason I mentioned my lack of belief, my skepticism, is because of what happened to me that weekend. I had a life-changing experience and I will never be the same again. I I'll take you through that day and you can be the judge of my sanity. I don't really care if you believe what I have to say. It won't change what happened or what I know. The only thing that will change is your perception of me. And I can live with that. I just really need to get this out. I woke up that Thursday morning and packed up my car. I brought everything I thought I would need for a three-day camping excursion. Sleeping bag, dried food, a matchbox, you know, the long ones for lighting fireplaces. I brought enough snacks to last me about a week and a half. My dad had given me a survival knife and a small hatchet when I was like 16. They were still good, if not a little dull, and I had a whetstone. Now I had some time to learn how to use it. I was going to be there all night by myself, right? 
I brought things with me that only the most inexperienced woodman would bring. I overcompensated with rope and paracord. I had one small bag dedicated to holding a small tackle box of fishing lures and a shit ton of 30 pound line that my grandpa had. I know, overkill. There isn't even a small stream close by our spot, let alone anything that would need that kind of fishing line. I had my trunk packed up and I was ready to go by 9.30am. It was a three hour trip, give or take, and I was gassed up and ready for the drive by 9.45 that morning. That particular drive is nice, if uneventful on a weekday morning, so I'll skip to my arrival at base camp, where I started preparing for my one lonely night. It was a bit odd, but satisfying that at my age I was doing something like this, completely on my own. The drive up by myself was already a milestone. I mean, it wasn't for years after I first got my driver's license that I actually went through a drive through by myself without somebody else in the car. Never mind, it's not important. I got to camp and started setting things up. The shack was a great place to hunker down for a night or two, but it was basically a small bedroom with no amenities. There was no kitchen or washroom, it was a shed basically, but it had four walls, a roof, and albeit creaky floor. I had with me a folding table, a few buckets, a propane stove, and a number of pots and a frying pan, so I set to work preparing our outdoor kitchen. That was the first time I noticed something wasn't exactly right. For one thing, I hadn't heard a single bird since I arrived. I didn't think anything of it at first. I'm sure my brain thought that my car had scared them off. Then I saw the tree. You couldn't see it when driving up, the one dirt road, you know. It wasn't until I was facing south while unfolding my table that I saw it. It was a tree, about 30 feet tall, upside down and sticking out at a bit of an angle as if the top of another tree had broken off and wedged into the muddy ground during a bad storm. I looked up and I couldn't see any other damage. I thought it was weird, but my mind already made itself up about the violent storm. Thinking back, it was the first real clue to the strangeness of these woods. The next few things didn't scare me at first. They started to piss me off because I was sure that Albert and Frank had lied to me about not coming out, just so they could pull some elaborate prank on me. I was livid. I had been walking the perimeter of the camp looking for firewood and busying myself to pass the time when I heard it. Still no birds, but there was a couple of whooping noises in the distance. In opposite directions, a call and response were happening, and I was caught right in the middle. At first, I thought it was coyotes, but soon changed my mind when the one to the northeast started making a sound as if it were laughing. It was quick and subtle, but I know I heard it, just the faintest snicker of amusement. I scowled. <laughs> my god, they were pissing me off. I'm a skeptic of most things, and my head will gravitate towards the simplest answers first before jumping off into wild speculation. So I continued gathering sticks and short branches, kindling, and any burnable refuse. The noises were still happening about five or so minutes apart, between call and response. Call and response. I was unnerved, only by the anticipation of one or both of my friends suddenly and heart attack inducingly jumping out at me from behind a cluster of trees. I wasn't scared, but I hurriedly got myself back to camp. That's when I really got pissed. The first thing I noticed was the upside-down tree. It had been moved. 
Now no longer pointing in a haphazard angle, it was completely upright and there were fresh breaks in some of the branches near the middle, which was approximately 15 feet up, as if someone had chopped them with a hockey stick. I'm a skeptic, not unimaginative. The second thing I noticed, however, was the trunk of my car wide open. Wide open, and if not damaged, very dirty. So dirty, in fact, it was like someone had pried it open with 50 pounds of mud, leaves, and clumps of orange-red fur. That was silly. That made me giggle in spite of my situation. You guys are assholes! I screamed at nothing. There wasn't anyone there. Neither was one of my bags I had brought. The bag full of jerky and other such dried snacks. I didn't want bears to get it. There aren't any bears here. But I'm cautious. Bears can't open trunks. At least not without breaking something in the process, right? I called out to my friends using the most colorful language that sprang from my tongue in a more than, but not entirely unfriendly tone. I was getting more pissed, and it wasn't even 6pm yet. I had been here for almost 5 hours, and I was looking forward to snacking on my flavorful dried meats, Damn it! Still no reply from the asshats that call themselves my friends. Still, no birds chirping. Still no noise for that matter. Aside from the almost completely forgotten about whooping from my wood gathering, and still the occasional giggle. Was that a giggle? That had to be what I was hearing. My friends were fucking with me, and not so subtly laughing about it. I screamed at the shitheads to knock it off or I was going to piss on their faces while they slept. That must have done the trick because the last whooping giggle was cut abruptly short. The thing about chirping birds is they are loud as hell when the sound is thrown at you from the silence of hours. It was a wall of sound that hit my ears like Marty playing Doc Brown's giant amp. I almost fell over backward from the shock of it. And just like that, everything was normal. I couldn't think of any reason why my friends were still hiding. They got me, and payback can be, as they say, a bitch. I'm sure that was it. Maybe they weren't sure if the threat of a pea-soaked face was nothing more than my annoyed venting. Empty threats. I decided to let them wait. If they wanted to spend a day being dicks in the woods, who was I to stop them? I kept myself busy before nightfall by smoking a fat bowl and as many cigarettes as there were half hours. Night came over me a few minutes after I got my fire going. A few more minutes and my fire was dancing like a mollied out hippie chick at her very last rave. My eyes were still adjusting when more strangeness began again. And this time, it was more sinister. And I no longer thought my idiot friends were as idiotic as I previously had. Those whooping calls from before started up once more. And this time, there were more. At least four, maybe five distinct voicings. One, however, was much closer than before. So close, in fact, that I could swear I smelled the breath that carried that sound. The smell was horrendous. The most noxious odor I have ever encountered. Imagine a dead cat covered in wolf shit buried in restaurant garbage that has been baking in the sun for just long enough to reach maximum stink strength. Now imagine what I smelled was worse than a thousand of those by far. I gagged immediately. The sound of my crackling fire was no longer soothing and had taken a more menacing property because it was masking any other noises from the forest floor. I wasn't going to be able to hear whatever it was. Why was I so scared? 
Why had my skeptic nature abandoned me when rational thought would have served my palpitating heart so much more? I could taste my ventricles. The sense of terror was growing more and more, and my brain was failing to explain the situation. I couldn't see anything beyond the perimeter of my fire. I couldn't hear anything louder than the rush of blood in my ears and the snapping of logs as they burned. Yet I was terrified. Because of a sound and a smell. How fucking irrational. I could feel eyes staring at me through the densely packed trees. It was feeling like a donut surrounded by fat cops two seconds into a long shift. I was a morsel and I was defenseless, save for the knife and hatchet tucked in my tiny backpack. The backpack that I had set inside the shack, the shack that was 15 feet away, 15 feet seemed like the journey to Mount Doom at this point. I was too scared to scratch my own ass for fear the movement would entice an attack, not to think of walking to the shack, the far off, out of reach shelter. I was so close, but might as well have been on the moon for what good being close was doing for my immovable body. I was so paralyzed by fear that I almost screamed when a fly landed on my nose. Move, motherfucker! My brain screamed. I heard it. A whoop. I heard it. A loud crack as if a boulder had landed on a giant 4th of July pile. I heard it. The laughing. <laughs> laughing like a chimpanzee hyena hybrid just discovered slapstick comedy. It was eerie. Something was out there. Many somethings. And I was helpless. I couldn't even move. Until the tree above me violently shook like a crying baby in the hands of a drunken dad. I fucking moved. I ran, in fact. I don't believe I've ever in my life moved that fast. Before I realized the paralytic spell had been broken, I was panting my lungs out with my back against the inside of the shack door. What. The. Fuck. Is. Happening. I felt like I had been sitting, back against that thin wooden door for what seemed like hours. When my heart was properly situated back in its correct position, I noticed the sound had stopped. No more call and response. No more sinister giggles. No more crackling fire. No more crackling fire. I was still too scared to look. I wanted to look. I wanted to make sure my mind wasn't fucking with me. I slowly got to my feet and placed my hand on the doorknob. I jumped. I'm not afraid to admit that I might have even screamed like a tiny little bitch. I screamed. Not my proudest moment, but I never said I was a brave man. I said I was scared. Shitless. The loud cacophonous crash came from behind me, just outside. There's a large conifer tree back there that has probably been alive before Sacagawea ran Lewis and or Clark through the country. Big ass tree. Something hit that big ass tree with a lot of fucking force. Needles were still falling on the roof of the shack, or that's what it sounded like. Little click sounds like a quick heavy rain, over before I noticed it started. Then there was a gentle knock on the door. <laughs> no there fucking wasn't. The next thing that happened was the door practically imploded at my face at really fast speeds. I got knocked on my ass and found myself gibbering like an idiot at the nine-foot hulking monster just beyond the doorway. I screamed again. That awful smell was back.
Sasquatch alone in the woods. Fuck. The largest hand, paw, I'm not sure what to call it, it reached through the doorway. The sudden movement allowed some moonlight through and I got a better view of my assailant with its shaggy orange-red fur, matted and dreadlocked, unnaturally long arms, large knotted head. This beast was gigantic and was about to rip me apart. I couldn't stand the stench. I uncontrollably twisted up my face and scrunched my nose in an attempt to block some of the scent. My eyes watered to the point where the last thing I could see was the blurred outline of this monster as it took hold of my right leg and dragged me from the shack. I flailed my arms wildly as he pulled so unceremoniously. My hand caught nothing but a thin piece of nylon cloth, which did nothing to slow me down. I'm so very fucking dead. The last thing I remembered was looking back toward the shack as I clawed at the ground, trying to get away. I looked just beyond the shack. I looked slightly up. Tree branches were everywhere, and in that giant conifer there were seven creatures, each slightly smaller than the one that was tugging me along the forest floor, past the remnants of my once dancing fire. One by one they dropped from the tree with the subtlest of thuds. My head hit something hard and I passed out with the brightest of flashes and a half-finished fuck in my throat. I died. Or so I thought. When I woke up to realize that I was still alive, I was laying on a slab of rock, cold and hurting. I tried to clear my throbbing head, but to no avail. This was going to hurt for the rest of my life, only because I knew my life was not going to last much longer. I could hear the beasts in the near distance, low growls and yipping whoops, and that laugh. The sound of that laugh was going to be with me forever. I started to come to a little more and could see by the light of the pale yellow moon the group. The family of Bigfoot. Sasquatch fuckers? I don't know what to call them. They were at the entrance of the large cave that I found myself in. There was no way out. Why didn't they kill me? I noticed something else then. I was still holding on to that nylon strap. That useless strap that did nothing to keep me inside my shack. I smiled. My heart smiled. I was holding my backpack, the one with too much fishing equipment, and my hatchet and barely not quite dull survival knife. It had gotten wrapped around my wrist during my ungraceful flailing. If only I knew what to do with them. My head was fuzzy and I wasn't thinking straight because I imagined at that moment running at that pack of Sasquatch, screaming like a goddamn maniac. The acts of pure unadulterated violence I performed in my head was spectacular. It was also so incredibly ridiculous, especially since I can't touch my own ankles from a standing position, let alone any kind of spinning backflip kick bullshit my brain thought I could do. My smile faded. I must have been making too much noise because Laffy Taffy turned his head quickly in my direction. The look on his face implied some higher intellect than a mere beast would possess. He was smart. He scared the fucking hell out of me. At that point, all I could think about was getting home taking the hottest shower that was just a hair away from boiling, and climbing into my bed. I would sleep for days. The giant creatures had other plans, though. I'm pretty sure I was going to find out soon what it feels like to have parts of me eaten while I watch. I was totally fucked. I must have fallen asleep at some point because I found myself waking up again. This time, I was sure I was alone. 
I stupidly took some of my precious time to set up a trap at the entrance to the cave. I have no clue how to set traps. I wrapped some fishing line around two opposing boulders and I left. At first I didn't know which direction I was going. I was thoroughly disoriented and confused. I think I walked two miles the wrong way before hearing cars on a road nearby. There's only the one road that goes to the shack. I was saved. I was going to make it home. I was going to get to boil myself in my shower. I'm not fucking dead. The road. I didn't know this road. I came to the edge of the woods and stared at the three-way intersection for way too long. Bewilderment is an underused yet highly inadequate word to describe how I felt. I was nowhere near the road I came in on. I was going to die. I used to love roller coasters. Laughing. I heard laughing. I heard laughing and a response. Another response. I was surrounded. I heard a loud crash as if a tree fell to the north. Was that north or east? It was near. I had to go, and I had to go fast. I ran in the only direction that wasn't harboring insane, grossly oversized ape fuckers. I ran. I was about to cross a small meadow when I saw a blur ahead of me. Then I heard a whoop right in front of me. Not going that fucking direction. To my right was another yip, and an answering whoop. So close. I was starting to smell them again. Fuck, it was so disgusting. Things went on this way for over an hour, or I thought, I don't know, I couldn't tell the time. A flash of fur, an undistinguished blur, a whoop, a yip, that horrible laugh. I was being herded. They knew what they were doing. They knew. I finally came to a rotting tree trunk large enough to hide me. From what? No fucking idea. I hunkered down and waited. The calls and their annoying responses seemed to be getting further away. I wasn't going to die. Crash! Giggle whoop! Laffy motherfucking Taffy was standing on my tree. I was going to die. He made a move toward me. A quick jerking motion like a bully claiming his territory and trying to make me jump. It worked. I jumped back and... tumbled down a hill. I rolled and twisted. I was sure I was going to break my neck when I finally came to a stop. At the back end of my car. Still covered in the dried mud leaves and fur from earlier. My campsite was cold. Abandoned. The sun was rising now. There was dew on my outdoor kitchen setup. I was back. I was safe. If not bruised and battered. I was not going to die after all. Jesus Christ. I heard a noise that made me laugh out loud. I heard the sound of a nearby engine coming up my dirt road. I could see the stupid grinning faces of my friends, right on time just like they promised. They parked and got out of the car, finding me insanely cackling as if I had just revealed my evil plot to take over the forest to a group of indifferent squirrels. I stopped laughing. I'm certain there were tears in my eyes as I said, I didn't die. I spent the next half hour explaining the previous night to my friends. They helped me gather some of my things, understanding my reason for wanting to get the fuck out of there. I walked through the now busted door of the shack and promptly fell flat on my face. Someone or something had tied fishing line across the entrance. Fuck you, Laffy Taffy. Fuck you. That was the beginning of my journey.
I have been searching and categorizing cryptozoological creatures ever since. Thank you for letting me tell you all that. It's good to get this off my chest.